Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 2 Kings, and we'll be reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, now that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had tore his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Ron. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar and we get to continue our series in second Kings. I want to start off with a story from a couple of summers ago. A bunch of friends, we were all sitting around a circle at a beach, and this question came up. What's the best war book you've ever read? It's a good question, especially for the English teacher and me. I love those questions. So mine was easy. I was able to answer it without thinking. All Quiet on the Western Front by Eric Maria Remarque. How many of you have read this book? should be like required reading. In fact, you're going to get a copy and uh, turn in the book report by the end of tomorrow. Uh, it tells the story of Paul Balmer. It's a fictional story. It tells the story of Paul Balmer, a 17-year-old soldier in World War I. Paul is young and scared and innocent as he faces the evils of war and destruction. Remark begins the book with this line. This book is neither to be an accusation nor a confession. And least of all, an adventure, for death is not an adventure for those who stand face to face with it. It will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped shells, were destroyed by the war. We follow Paul as he is destroyed by the war. It's sad and it's powerful. It's heartbreaking. We sympathize with Paul and we root for him. He's a hero in a lot of ways from the first page to the last. I've read this book many times. I've taught it several times. I love it. 
But the fact of this book that I like best, the aspect of the book that I really appreciate most, is that Paul Balmer is not an American soldier. He's not a Frenchman. He's not an English soldier. He's a German. Now, just a little history here. Germans were the bad guys in World War I. They were the bad guys in World War II. They're probably going to be the bad guys in World War III. Uh, but we, we look at the eyes, we look at all of this through the eyes of our enemy, Paul Balmer, as we learn from him. Our enemy has something important to teach us in this book. And there are times where our enemies can be our heroes. And today is one of those stories with Naaman. Naaman is our enemy or Israel's enemy. The enemy of God's people is the hero of the story today. As we heard it read, Naaman is a great general in the Syrian army. Syria has been at war with Israel, and they defeated Israel. They ransacked it, carted away all the spoils of war, including people. And our biblical narrative focuses in on this one Syrian today. And it's a good story. Naaman's story teaches us about God and forgiveness and humility and worship all through the actions of an enemy. Our main idea that's going to guide us today is that God uses our weakness to display his glory and goodness as he guides us to life. God is the one who uses our weakness to display his glory and goodness as he guides us to life. And we see this just starting off right now with our first point, our sickness Naaman's sickness highlights our need for God. Our sickness highlights our need for God. And leprosy all starts with little red dots. Leprosy is, is the deadliest disease in this time. No cure in Naaman's time. These red spots appear, and they turn to raw flesh, running sores, teeth falling out, hair is falling out, hands and feet disfigured all thought to spread through contact. So the person, the leper, was isolated from society. And we see this, uh, many stories, both in Old and New Testament, that the leper is unclean. The leper is outcast. I mean, kind of like when you had to cough during COVID era. You remember how, how, much, how bad you felt about coughing? You did it all secretly so no one would know, but we knew. We knew. Uh, uh, archaeological evidence shows us we actually have exactly what uh, Naaman looks like. And I want to show that to you today. Uh, so Na this is what Naaman looks like. Uh, well, Naaman knew he was in trouble. His very successful military career was brought low by these spots. His glorious, victorious career as a conquering general with all the favor of Syria was coming to an end. He was getting ready to fail his med board, and there wasn't anything he could do about it. There was nothing that even the king couldn't do. But this Jewish slave girl, the one who Naaman had brought from Israel to Syria, did speak up. And she said, would that my lord, would that Naaman were with the prophet Elisha, who is in Samaria? Elijah could cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman brought this up to the king of Syria. Hey, this girl says, this guy who, healing. So they wrote a letter to the king of Israel about the healing. They loaded up a cart full of treasure and gifts and off to seek God's healing in the enemy land. 
Naaman's desperation sent him to seek the God of Israel in the land of the enemy. Well, sickness and weaknesses often do that to us. These are the moments in life that God uses to turn the attention toward him. These are the ones that we are scared and we're helpless and we are so desperate that our hearts become tender toward God. This is true for Naaman and it's true for us today. In the moments of those weaknesses and those uh, sickness and those red dots, we look to God with a different tenderness. And before we continue with Naaman's story, let me kind of put it to you. Where are your red spots today? Where are those little signs of leprosy that are coming out, those weaknesses that show that we have a need for God? Where is the red dot in your life that shows that you are out of control and out of power to do anything with it? I mean, this could be a few things. It could be actual disease like Naaman had of either you or someone close to you. Maybe the red dots are about marriage struggles. Your marriage is on the ropes. You know it. He or she knows it. Maybe, it's an ad- maybe you're an addict and these addictions keep showing up in your life. Parenting failures. Maybe that is on full display. Maybe those red dots of your weakness as a parent Everybody knows infertility, miscarriages could be the leprosy in your life. Loneliness, despair, ideas of worthlessness. These are all those red dots in our lives that we suffer with, we're sick with, and we're sometimes too ashamed to talk about. We suffer in silence. And whatever your struggles are, whatever your red dots, whatever your leprous spots are, Imagine if God were using these in some way that we may not even agree with, but still, he uses them in some way to bring you closer to himself. This is what happened with Naaman. God used his sickness to bring Naaman close to him. It's the toughest battle Naaman had to bring him closer. William Wordsworth has this oft-quoted poem called Character of a Happy Warrior. This is one, presidents love quoting from this poem in their speeches. It's, a, it's strange. It's a great poem. But I'm not sure why presidents always go to this poem. Uh, but, but in this, this is Wordsworth from a non-believer's view to look at the characters of a strong, healthy person in life. And this pairing of words kind of can describe Naaman well. Wordsworth says, more exposed to suffering and distress thence also more alive to tenderness. There's a connection. More exposed to suffering and distress, the more we're alive to tenderness. Our suffering, our sickness, in any of those spots can make us more tender to uh, others that are tender, that need some attention. Naaman, listen to this little girl. When would a general ever listen to a little slave girl on where he should go for medical care? But he listens to this little girl. How might God be using your suffering today? This is an important question. If God uses our suffering to turn us toward God, how could God be using the suffering in your life today? We're nine minutes in. It's a perfect time for a C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, It's mandated here. Uh, You've heard this before, I'm sure. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. 
It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse, to wake up a deaf, forget deaf world, a deaf man. Pain is God's megaphone to wake me up because sometimes that's the only thing that gets my attention. Whatever it is, your sickness, your leprosy can bring you closer to God. Not only does God use our sickness to highlight our need for him, but he also uses those very unlikely and lowly people to get us there. Our second point is that our subordinates point us to God. So our sickness highlights the need for God, and we get there because our subordinates, the people who are less than us, get us there. Consider Naaman's servant girl. She was kidnapped from Israel as a spoil of war. She was a treasure of war trafficked across to Syria. This little girl whose parents were probably murdered, and yet she's living in this strange land with strange people. And yet, when Naaman hits this sickness, this illness, truth comes out of her mouth. Would, there be my, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is with Samaria. There is a way to healing, she says. This is the slave girl who was kidnapped and yet she offers some hope. Now, this is a different reaction than a lot of us would have if you were this little slave girl. It'd be a different reaction than what I'd have. We would love to be at the front row center of this dirt bag suffering with leprosy, wouldn't we, in our hearts? We'd be sitting there watching the disease take over and transform his body. Good, you deserve it for what you've done to me. We'd enjoy the justice disposed right before our eyes but not her. This little slave girl speaks truth. She speaks healing. She speaks hope for Naaman. And not only that, but Naaman listened to her, which is also amazing. Naaman listened to this lowly person. Now, we're quick to rest in our own high stature, to look above and hardly see those little people around. We look up to those in higher positions, but we don't often look at the people who are lower than us. For most in this room, this hierarchy is clearly seen because it's sewn onto your clothes. But for others, we seek those who are mature, more wise, more put together. But here, the slave girl, not the king or anybody else in Naaman's army, the little slave girl pointed the way to healing for Naaman, pointed the way to God for Naaman. And he listened. And so the story continues. Naaman goes to the king. The king writes a letter to the king of Israel about this. Now, the two kings are at an uneasy truce. They're right now at an uneasy truce. So the letter asking the king of Israel for healing almost seems like a trick. I think he's trying to dupe me that I may cure him from leprosy. How can I cure anybody from leprosy? I'm going to say I can't, and then you're going to come to war with me. Who am I? God rips his clothes. <laughs> Naaman has more faith. In fact, the little slave girl has more faith in the God of Israel than the king of Israel has in the God of Israel. Think about that. Elijah hears, Elisha hears about this and says, send, send this guy to me. Finally, Naaman says, finally I get an audience with someone important. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. Now, here's another servant. Elisha didn't even come to the door. 
Naaman came with all this money and chariots and fanfare, and Elisha is somewhere inside. A servant comes out and gives him this great news. You can be healed. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman did not like that, probably for several reasons. It says Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of his, the Lord, his God, wave his hands all over the place and cure the leper. I know how to cure leprosy. I've seen it on TV. You kind of have to do something with your hands. You need the guy out here. This guy's just sending a servant. This is ridiculous. Didn't even come out to talk to me. Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he? I deserve better treatment. I deserve a proper healing. And I deserve to have a reception not from a servant. Crying out loud, doesn't he know who I am? We laugh at this idea because it's so ridiculous. But isn't that kind of the attitude we have sometimes when someone lower than us speaks truth to us? Somebody who is below whatever we think is we're high in tries to correct us or do something that causes us to be in their debt. I am better than you, and everyone knows it. Our hearts cry out. I deserve better. I went to a church in Colorado, and I remember this pastor, our pastor telling the story that a rich uh, patron of the church, a uh, member of the church, came to him privately and said, Pastor, how does one make a significant contribution to this church? To which the pastor answered, one simply puts it into the offering box. Nobody was British. I don't know why I did that. But, uh, <laughs> but this idea, we want attention. We want fanfare. We want to be well thought of. When I walk into this place, I want people to notice. Having kids come up and asking me to do magic tricks. Come on. <laughs> Better than that. We want to be made much of. Don't, doesn't he know who I am? Now, at least for you, your subordinates, the people in your life under you at work are at least adults that God's going to use. In my work, they're 16-year-olds, okay? God uses 16-year-olds in my life. Have you ever spent any time with a 16-year-old? They're idiots, okay? And God is going to use them to speak truth to me. Doesn't God know who I am? This is why parenting, especially of babies, is such a sanctifying experience. God uses diaper-wearing, poop-filled, always screaming infants to instruct and guide you to Jesus. You ask any parent, what's the most sanctifying time in your life? When I had kids. Easily. They will show you how selfish you really are and point you to God. Now, in this story, a third servant comes in. Slave girl, the door who gives the, gives the news, and now Naaman's mad. He left, how, he left his house, Elisha's house, angry. And the servant with Naaman comes up to him and says, is said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? It's almost as if He's given you something easy to do. Why would you not do it? If he gave you something hard, you would do it. It would be like us being from Oregon and all the beauty and majesty of Oregon beauty and 
God says, rather than looking at this, I want you to go to North Dakota or Nebraska or any other 49 states that aren't as good as Oregon. It's like, why? Why would I do that? So God would never want you to move away in this sense. So God wants Naaman to do something very easy, but he said, why are you doing, you would do something hard like go anywhere else. Why would you do this? If he told you to climb a mountain and eat an ostrich egg yolk upside down, you would do it. Here, all you have to do is very easy. Just go to the Jordan River. However, he still was angry at this. But he used, God uses three servants, the slave girl, Elisha's messenger, and this one, to say, let's just try it. Now, there's people in our life we have no problem listening to. You know, they're the, the wiser, the older, the higher, the better. But consider those whose words we are quick to discount. The lower educated, lower rank, fools, lack of experience, children. Well, that's who God is going to use to point you to Jesus. This sounds upside down, and it is. It is upside down. The Christian life is upside down in a lot of ways. And that brings us to our third point that's also upside down, is that our works, our very works that we sometimes think brings us to God, keeps us from God. God does things upside down. We want to earn our salvation. We want to earn what we can get. Now, we like, we work hard at our jobs, we get the reward. We do that in work, we do that with hobbies, but we do this with God as well. God uses the lesser to point us to him, and sometimes good works all of our striving to do right, to say, look, God, look at how great I am, gets in the way. Naaman arrived to Elisha's house with 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. Some estimate that this little pack was a million dollars that he brought from Syria to Israel. A million dollars. Now, Naaman rolls into town trying to earn Elisha's favor and healing. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house, but gives a simple yet strange command. Dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. I have a million dollars to give, and I'm supposed to go swimming in the Jordan for a miracle? Doesn't he know who I am? I'm, I'm a big deal up north. I'm a big deal. And the Jordan? The Jordan River was muddy and gross. No matter what the Israel tourist brochure says, the Jordan River is not this pristine body of water in that episode of The Chosen that you watched, okay? The Jordan River is muddy and dirty. And Naaman, when he's told to go into the Jordan River, that, he does not like that. Elisha's supposed to come out and do his hand thing. That's what he's supposed to do. None of this Jordan River, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how it's, it's supposed to work. We want to do it our way, with our works, with our ideas, with our effort, and not God's. In our life, we leave so little margin for God to heal us because we're trying to do it all. We leave nothing for God to try to heal. Well, Naaman, when he hears that he has to get into this muddy, gross water, he says, are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, meaning the rivers back home, cleaner than all the rivers of Israel? 
Why did I even have to come down here? I could have done this. If all I had to do is go in water, I'm going to go wash in some really good rivers. So he turned and went away in a rage. So he was angry before. Now he's in a rage. That, that is going to be good. Uh, he was given a simple route for healing. Very simple. Dip yourself. You'll be healed. No, he wants to make it more complicated. And then how do we try to pay God for his gifts? It might be the, the classic, God, if you take away this or if you give me this healing, I promise I'll never do this. Usually it's like if I don't get in trouble for doing what I'm caught doing, I promise I'll never do it again. We make these bargains with God. We try to bribe God with our big stacks of million-dollar presents. But that's not how God works. Even though we hear that grace is a free gift, which we hear all the time, grace is a free gift. You can't do anything outside of yourselves to earn God's favor. We still try to earn God's favor. We still are trying to earn his sonship or his daughtership. We refuse to see how easy it is, and we let works get in the way of our relationship with God. We try to be perfect. We try to, look, God, look at me. Look at how great I am. Don't you know who I am? Is how we approach God as well. But we don't need to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. Is that we come to Jesus messy and dirty with only a heart that seeks him. This isn't just pre-Christian life that we can come to Jesus dirty. We can come to Jesus messy and dirty and ugly today and come to him once again for this free grace that he dispenses so freely, so wonderfully. This is all upside down from what we expect. All upside down. Elisha wanted nothing to do, nothing from Naaman because God can't be bought. If he took anything from Naaman or acknowledged his high position, it would say otherwise. God can indeed be bought. God wants to heal you, friends. He wants to heal you. But it's not going to be your high position or because you're something so special or what you've given God by not sinning for X amount of days in that particular sin that so easily entangles you. That's not why. God doesn't owe you anything. It's going to be because God is great. He delights in your good for his glory. And we see this. We see this represented in Ephesians 2, a, a, a very famous passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If God saved us because you were so clean and right and good and beautiful, God doesn't need to be part of that equation. We could boast, God, look at what I've done for you. Look at all of this life that I've given. Do you know how much I serve in this church? Do you know how much, many times I read my Bible? I did it seven times in the last two months. And I, God, that's really good. Come on. Is that we would end up boasting in ourselves. But we need to approach God in our sickness and in our health with open, empty hands. God can't be bought with money or with good works. If he did, then I could boast everything about what I've done. But the upside down beauty of the gospel is that God saves us regardless of our works, not because of them. I brought nothing into this relationship with God. God continues to pursue me for my good and his glory, not because he saw who I was. Do you know who I am? God says, yes, I know exactly who you are, and I'm going to come and 
save you anyway because I know who you are. Our fourth point is this, and this is the gospel in a nutshell, is that our God brings us to God. Not my works, not my efforts, but God brings us to God. And we see the result of this faith from Naaman. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Imagine Naaman doing this. This week, me and the kids watched a few videos of Naaman's scene uh, washing, and it's always kind of like very Sunday school-y, you know, kind of like Naaman going under the water, you know, almost like he's synchronizing swimming, uh, sort of. I don't, I don't see this at all. Remember, we, he was angry. He was in a rage. I think he's doing this with clenched teeth, counting each stupid requirement that he's forced to make, making a fool of himself, going down under the water, coming up, doesn't down. He know who I am. Every dip is clenched, clenched uh, jaw, angry at having to do this. He's better than this. And then that seventh one, doesn't he know who I am? Yeah, yeah, he does. And he comes up completely healed from this uh, leprosy. It's not money. It's not Elijah's magical hands. It's God. God saves people for his glory in spite of their clenched teeth against him. Rebels before Christ, we, we clench our fists, clench our teeth, and spit words toward God. God, if you were good, you would not have this in my life. Whatever this leprosy is, you would not have it in my life. Through clenched fists, clenched jaws. But God pursues those people through their clenched jaws. Elijah didn't accept any money from Naaman because he wanted Naaman to know that the healing had nothing to do with payment or status or even Elisha himself. It was the God of Israel alone. And on this seventh time coming up out of this water, for the first time in a long time, he was clean. He was free, socially restored, professionally reinstated. His reputation is coming back. And then like other lepers we read in the New Testament running away after their healing, he runs toward Elisha. We end our passage with this. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. I've already told you that. Stop asking. I'm not taking it. And he urged him to take it, but Elijah again refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon, that's the god of Syria, to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Elisha said to him, go in peace. After his healing, Naaman ran toward Elisha, became a believer. Now, even after the gift, Naaman wants to do this weird thing like dig up a bunch of dirt and bring it to Syria so he can have like a, a special place uh, of honor to worship the Lord. 
We're not told anywhere in the Bible that we're supposed we're to do that or not. Elisha doesn't correct them. In fact, in Israel, I'm sure you can buy a little dirt of Israel. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Someone's making money on that. Uh, however, he doesn't correct them. When people have an experience with the living God, they don't instantly come out quoting the Heidelberg Catechism by heart, okay? They're going to have some bad theology. I certainly did, and I've talked to some of you. You have terrible theology. Uh, <laughs> But keep in mind that Naaman has been a believer for about 39 seconds here, okay? 39 seconds. So we'll cut. you want to take up dirt and bring it to Syria? Great. Go in peace. God brings us to God, and we will continue to grow in faith even past our bad theology. And so here we are today. You may be sitting in here as the ultimate Naaman, not a believer in this living God of Israel, but you are in need of healing and you know it. You've had that spot of leprosy. You've heard about Jesus from others and perhaps you're willing to seek him out. Well, let me tell you, no sacrifice is needed, no money, no waving of the hands is needed for any of this to make yourself right with God. There's only one thing you need to do to make right with God. And it's as simple as dipping into the ocean seven times. It's confession. Romans 10 gives us in one sentence what it takes for you to cross over from the, the area of, of darkness, the domain of darkness as a rebel into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves as a son and daughter. One sentence, and it says this in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So perhaps your name in here today, you kind of know something about this God, but you've never believed in him. You know you have leprosy. You know the sickness is here. Well, God is waiting for you. Not waiting for you to clean up your leprosy or your ugly life or your dirty sin or get things right and dress better, act better, look better. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. We try to overcomplicate things in all these different ways that we can come, whether you're a Christian in for 39 seconds or whether you're a Christian for decades, is that I need to remember every day to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. And I need to be saved from this. I come to Jesus again and again. This is true for adults and it's true for you kids as well. This promise is for you. You don't have to be an adult and have all this complicated theology to become a Christian, to come to Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Let's return to all quiet on the Western front as we close here. There's a scene in chapter five that probably is one of my favorite scenes in all literature. It's the scene where Paul and his NCO, Stanley Kazowski, are trapped in this French village and they don't have any rations. And so Kat and Paul, they find this goose running around and they grab it, they kill it, and they're eating it in this moment. And like your English teacher taught you somewhere along the way, whenever characters in a novel are eating, it's never about the food. It's always about something bigger. Eating is never just eating in literature. Look at this passage. We sit opposite one another, Kat and I, two soldiers in shabby coats, cooking a goose in the middle of the night. We don't talk much, but I believe that we have more, a more complete communion with one another than even lovers have. We are two men, 
Two minute sparks of life. Outside is the night and the circle of death. We sit on the edge of it, crouching in danger. The grease drips from our hands. In our hearts, we were close to one another. Part of finding God's goodness in your suffering, in your sickness, is finding those people to sit with, to eat with, to have the goose dripping from your fingers with as you stand and fight against the circle of death, the night that is outside of you. That's how God sometimes heals. Doesn't just heal the way we want to heal. Sometimes healing comes from people locking arms with us. We encourage folks here all the time about joining church membership. Today, if you're interested, next steps class, we can talk to you about church membership. But it is important for you to commit to people who love you and care about you enough to fight the circle of death together, to sit like these two men are sitting, eating, enjoy eating, while there's all of this danger and sickness and death outside of us. On, we also talk about uh, missional communities a lot here. And, and on Friday, we had our first open house missional community for um, us and the hammockers. We had about 20 people here, and, and almost we got the time a little off because it ended up being we really were in the night because we couldn't see anything by the end, and there's no lights at Merrick Park. Someone fix that for me, please. Uh, and so here we, we are with 20 people or so, and there's a variety, a spectrum of people. Some I knew very well. Some I've talked to church. Some I have never even seen before. So we have this full spectrum of people. And I looked at these people on our first night, and it was a delight to see those faces as we start to look. I don't know these people yet, but I know one thing is true, is that these are the people that are going to lark arms with us in this, in this season of life, fighting the circle of death, whatever that may come. We're going to enjoy the joys together, and we're going to fight and pray the circle of death away. I don't know any, most of these people to tell them deep secrets in our life that we have and that we need people to get in our faces and help us and eat this goose, this joy. Like we, you know when you eat a meal and the grease, it's like fammy chicky coming down your arms when you're trying to eat that? It's like there's joy in all of that. And as I looked at this MC forming, that hasn't even, they haven't even done anything for me yet. But I can see a glimpse. I can see a glimpse of hope that in our leprosy in the Koya household, the sickness that may come, I have people that are saying, I commit to you, and then we say that to others. I hope you have that in your life. I hope you are seeking that in your life. If you don't, let's change that, okay? Let's do that. Let's get you involved in something. I hope you're seeking that now. The main idea I tried to look at today is that God uses our weaknesses to display his glory and goodness as he guides us to life. Now, Unfortunately, we know this to be true, that not everything ends in a nice, tidy, Naaman-covered bow. That would be great if we pray for healing, that things get resolved. But we know that not all diseases end in healing. Not all addictions are gone overnight. Some of you are struggling with addictions. Not all stories of infertility and miscarriage end with a quiver full of arrows at home. I wish they did. Not all marriages are easy. Not all parenting challenges can be fixed quickly with a prayer or a book. 
we still hurt. As Christians, we still live in a world where outside is the night and it's sometimes the circle of death. But we serve a God who knows your pain. He is not indifferent to your pain. He is with you in the midst of it. He knows your pain. He sees you in your pain. And he walks with you in your pain. Jesus is called in Isaiah the man of sorrows for a reason. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I want a savior who's acquainted with grief because grief comes my way regularly. Later, we're going to sing Man of Sorrow's song. And the, the verse, second verse, silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. The Father knows something about pain, about losing his son, watching his son killed for the sins of you, for the sins of me. And today, you may be at the end of your rope, and I imagine some of you are right now. You are at the end of your rope. But imagine, instead of seeing this as an end of the rope, imagine if we view this as a God-ordained, truth-pointing, Jesus-saturated lifeline right back to him. You may be at the end of your rope today, but that rope may be a God-ordained, truth-pointing, Jesus-saturated lifeline right back to him. Imagine if this suffering, this leprosy that we have in our lives, these red dots everywhere, imagine if that makes us more alive to tenderness, to see God in his working in our life. I pray that we all have eyes to see that. Now, some of you are in the night right now. The circle of death surrounds you. You're bowed low under the weight of your leprous spots, and you can't see God through this haze. I know what that feels like. You're, you desperately need healing. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to give time to pray for you, to pray for you who are struggling in that circle of death right now. We want to pray for you. Come up here. We don't want it to be weird, although it might feel weird. We want to invite you forward. Uh, Lauren will be over here. I'll be back here. We'll have a couple of other elders back there. Whether your sickness or your suffering or your illness or your uh, infertility or you want to confess Jesus for the first time, we want to say that God sees all of your hurt. God sees your pain. God knows you, and we at Pillar want to be a first step in locking arms with you and fighting and praying against the circle of death. No mics or anything like that. We're just going to pray and pray that God will heal you as he healed Naaman. Naaman walked from Syria or traveled from Syria to Israel. Surely you can walk 20 feet to come up and ask for prayer. Okay. When you're ready, if you're not going to come up, pray for those who need to come up, okay? Pray for that. Let's have a time of introspection for our own leprous hearts. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for doing a good work in our life. It is hard to say that we thank you for suffering and sickness. It is hard to say those words. But Lord, relax our jaw muscles so we're not saying them through clenched teeth, 
but rather, Lord, help us to say those because whatever sickness is in our life today, Lord, we know it brings us closer to you, Lord. I pray for Pillar. May we be a family here today that looks at hard things in life as a means to come closer to you. Do a good work in this body of believers. Amen. Thank you.